So we return to Colossians uh, this week, and this is probably going to be my last uh, lesson in Colossians before uh, we'll take a break and uh, kind of do some topical subject uh, matter as we go through the first of the year uh, and Christmas as well. So uh, I know uh, Nate did a good job wrapping up the prayer sermon. Excellent stuff. We were able to tune in and catch some of that. And so appreciate that series. Uh, very helpful, very encouraging. And uh, I know some good feedback on that. So Pastor Nate, we appreciate you bringing the Word of God. Always remind him when he's getting ready to preach. I'll usually shoot him a text, let him know I'm praying for him, and tell him to preach the Word. And what, Pastor Nate? Eat the bird. That's what good pa pastors do. They preach the word, they go home and they eat the bird, the chicken. But anyway, I trust he did that last time. Yes, that's right. He got a drawing from compliments of Luke. So, yeah, of a preacher eating a bird with feathers flying out of his mouth and everything. So, yes, yes. We appreciate you, you doing that. Hopefully that wasn't the actual scene that took place last week. Uh, speaking of, <laughs> some of you are probably wanting to say this to me. Get alive, preacher. Get alive. That's the name of our sermon this week. Get alive. Now, little little information. You've heard who's you've heard this thing, right? How many have heard the saying "Get alive" before? How many of you said "Get alive" before? <laughs> okay, confession's good for the soul. Uh, get alive. Well, what's the meaning? Where where did this phrase come from? Because I mean, people say it. We say it all the time, right? Some people you say it a lot more than others, but. It means to stop wasting a lot of time in useless or boring or trivial works, kind of like what I'm getting ready to do for the next five minutes. But anyway, <laughs> on this subject matter, anyway, uh, get a life. It also means to do something better or act responsibly. You know, somebody tells you to get a life, they're basically telling you to do something better. Uh, maybe act a little more responsible, right? Uh, it means to advise someone to start living a better life. You know, somebody's telling you to get a life. Uh, do something better with your life, man. Come on. Uh, it's, it's used to ask a boring person to do something exciting. You know, you've heard oftentimes that somebody's just living a humdrum, boring life. You might hear somebody say, dude, you need to get a life. Well, here's some example sentences. You're working over 100 hours a week. Dude, get a life. Amen. You know, yeah, some of us can relate to that, right? <laughs> you, you workaholics, you need to get a life, right? Uh, why do you always have to interrupt whatever I do, Carver? Just get a life. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, these phrases come in handy. Uh, what do you mean you're not going to the party this week? You really need to get a life. Or as I like to say to my son sometimes, get a life, dude. How long are you planning to stay in your room playing video games? Get a life. I'm just kidding, son. You know, I go in there and join you and we get a life together. So these are some example sentences, but do you know where the origin came from? This is kind of interesting. I, I, I was curious where this, this saying came from, so I took the time to look it up because I didn't have a life, but anyway, I, I finally got a life, and I looked it up, and, and so the, the true origin uh, of this phrase, get a life, is, is unknown. However, according to the records, the phrase came to use only in the late 20th century, the first noted usage of the phrase, get alive, was in an article in 1983, Washington Post, which went as quoted below. Grossed me out. I mean, Valley Girl was like, oh my goodness, it was last year for sure. I mean, get alive. I say, what? <laughs> Just like that. 
Thank you. You can ask my wife who's not present, probably because she knew I was going to be reading that this morning. I tried it on her last night. <laughs> That's probably why she's not here this morning. She's next door cooking. But anyway, she's telling me to get alive. No. That's kind of crazy, huh? Yeah, and that's why it makes sense now when I hear that in that context where that origin came from. Well, you'll be glad to know that that's not, has nothing to do with what I want to talk to you about this morning. But I do want to use the phrase in this context. If you don't know Jesus Christ, then you need to get a life. Because that's a true statement. Because if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have life. In fact, the Bible says you're dead. You're spiritually dead. And you desperately need a life. You notice there's an if-then statement. And when we get into our text this morning, there's an if-then statement that starts the whole message. And, and I don't know if you, I remember as a youth pastor, we used to play this game on road trips or at, at Christmas parties. And, and, and we get together and you'd have to write the if statement. And then you have to write a then statement on two index cards. Ever play this game? If you haven't, you need to take this to your family Christmas party. A lot of fun. Write an if statement, if, and then you write down like, you know, if, if the sky is cloudy, it may rain today. Uh, or no, if the, if, the cloud, if the sky is cloudy, that's the if statement, and then it might rain today. Well, then you take those statements and you put all the ifs in one pile and you take all the thens in one pile and you mix them up. And so somebody will read the if statement. And then somebody else will read a then statement. And when they're put together, they're mashed up and they can be pretty crazy. If it's cloudy, then you should probably eat meatballs. I mean, I don't know. It'll just be something, you know, silly. A lot of fun. But today we have an if-then statement that's something we need to take notice of. Take a look in Colossians chapter 3 and let's look at the if then statement here. By the way, if then is a logical uh, term used. If then, it's a logical conclusion that the, the first statement concluded by the second statement, it's, it's often used in not only logic but also in mathematics. If then. So in this case, we see an if then statement in the Word of God. Notice if you would in Colossians 3. If then you were raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Father, I pray that You will do what You promised to do, and that is to not allow Your Word to return void. And so I pray that it will accomplish that which it goes forth to do this morning. Lord, I pray that You will encourage our hearts, that You will turn our minds and attention to You, that we will seek those things above, and that You will draw us near to You as You draw near to us. And so, Lord, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit as this word is proclaimed this morning, that it will be an encouragement to the listener. And, Lord, that uh, as we go from here today, we'll go different than how we came in. So, Lord, have your will in this service. May you be honored and glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. 
The English word if is employed here in, in the sense of, uh, in view of, in view of your being raised with Christ. It's an in, in the indicative move. Paul is clearly assuming in this statement the resurrection as a fact. That's to say, Christians were spiritually, were raised spiritually when Christ was raised physically. And this identification was the foundation of their spiritual position. Here's the outline this morning. We're going to be unpacking this text. We're going to look at this thing first, the position. Because this is what this portion of Colossians is all about. Paul has been laying the, uh, the account down in, in these previous chapters, dealing with some of those false teachers that were trying to creep in and try to bring these heresies and these teachings to kind of sidetrack people, to follow that red herring we talked about, try to get them off track. And remember, the whole point of Colossians is the preeminence of Christ. Christ is to be front and center. And that'll help in the uh, uh, attacks that come our way, spiritually speaking, if we'll just allow Christ to have His rightful place. But in order for us to, to do this, we must understand our identity and our rightful place as we are positioned in Christ. Who you are is not what you do. Too many of you are wrapped up in what you do, and that's your identity. Men, we're the, we're the worst. And I've talked about this many times before. We're the worst. When somebody comes up and we strike up conversation, one of the first things they're going to ask is, well, so now what do you do for a living? And, 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 we, and we explain this, and, and there's nothing wrong with the conversation, but too often times we find our identity in what we do. And so then when you get into latter years and you're no longer able to do, your life feels empty or void. And that's because we've spent so much of our life being wrapped up in what we do and not who we are. And so, Christian, we need to understand who we are. So that becomes a... Uh, uh, that, that way, the, what we do is simply a platform for who we are. We are followers of Christ. We're ambassadors of Christ. We're representatives of Christ. So if I happen to be a mechanic, if I happen to be a doctor, if I happen to be a lawyer, if I happen to be a school teacher, whoever, whatever I do, the who I am is I am a follower of Christ. This is an opportunity. This is simply a platform where God has placed me to further the gospel because I'm an ambassador of Christ and His kingdom. And so we want to understand our position. We're also going to look at perspective. Now, if you, if you ever come sit in our office, one of the first things you're probably going to hear come out of my mouth, because oftentimes when there's conflict, if it's marital counseling, or if there's some issues going on between two parties, without fail, there's two perspectives. You've heard the old saying, there's always two sides to every coin, right? This is why gossip is so dangerous in the church. This is why this is deadly, it's poisonous. Because what happens is, when somebody tries to get in your ear, and usually it's pretty good, about, you can usually identify this pretty easily. If it's ever tearing down someone else, you need to plug that ear. Not lend ear. But oftentimes what happens is, you get one perspective of a set of events. There's always another side to that coin. There's always another perspective that maybe, especially in the area of gossip, you usually don't get the chance to hear. And that's why it's deadly and dangerous. And even still, with this perspective and that perspective, both perspectives very well may be wrong. 
And so we're going to look at in this text, there's one perspective that's always right. And that's God's perspective. And so we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to look at purpose here in these first three verses. So this is where we hope to go. This is what we want to unpack this morning as we continue our study in Colossians. But you saw the if-then statement. If-then. And, and, and the, the idea, as was mentioned, was this is in view of the fact. In view of the fact, Christian, that you have been raised with Christ. Right? Again, Paul is, is, is writing to those believers here in the midst of this church in Colossae. And he's already talked about this in the previous chapter. You can go back and, and look at that. Since you've been raised with Christ, we need to understand our position in Christ. Notice what he says first. He says, if then you were raised with Christ, in view of the fact that you've been raised with Christ, Seek those, or better translation, continue seeking. Okay? Continue seeking. It's in that active role here. This is the idea, as Paul is saying, that, that if you've been raised with Christ, you will continue to seek those things. You, this is a continual. This is a continual, not a one and done. Too often times we come to the altar, we, hey, we get saved, and we go away, not changed, not transformed. We need to ask ourselves, was there true conversion? in situations like that. Because followers of Christ do just that. Follow me, Christ said, follow me. Many followed Christ for a little while and turned away. How often have we seen people begin to grow? You see, oh, hey, look, there's some, some green plant life coming up. It's looking good. Only to see it wither away. Never producing fruit. How many times, you know, in my house, it's, I begin to see grass grow. Oh, it's starting to grow. And then my dogs dig it up. In the case of Scripture, the enemy comes and plucks that seed away. Satan steals it away. How many times have you seen that happen in the, in the life of, of a friend or family member who, who's, who seems like they're going to be on fire for Jesus only to fall away and never be seen again? Check out the parable of the sowing of the seed. I mean, this is what this is about. But a follower of Christ is continually seeking. If you've been raised with Christ, if you understand your position in Christ, you will continue to seek those things which are above. We're going, to follow, we're going to go to a lot of Scripture this morning, so if you would, take your Bibles, hold your spot there. And let's go over to Matthew. And let's look in Matthew chapter 6. And you'll know the context here. Jesus is getting ready to send out His disciples, and they're a little concerned about things. And so Jesus is addressing that concern. And notice what he says in 625 and following. I better suit up for this one. All right. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a stature? 
So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows what you need. All these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Guys, we, we too often times in the day and age in which we live, we lose sight of the very thing that Christ told His disciples. And we get sidetracked and focused on the non-essentials. And we fret and we worry and we consume our day. When God's answer is simply seek first. See, Christ is preeminent. He's to be preeminent in the follower of, of the Christian's life. He's to be at the center of everything we do because it's at the center of who we are. Hebrews 11, verse 6, if you'll turn there with me. Hebrews 11, in verse 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. As followers of Christ, we have one, well, we have one mission all-encompassing and whole. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. A Godward and manward. And this is only fulfilled in the person of Christ. But as we have come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, this is our mission. And so daily, we need to wake in the morning and seek Him. First thing, Lord, what would you have me do today? What is your, what is your mission for me today? Lord, put in my path today someone that I can speak to, that I can be an encourager to. Use me today, Lord, uh, for your glory, for your honor, for your namesake. This should be off the lips and out of the heart of every believer. Because this is our whole purpose. This is the only reason why when you were, you were saved, when you were born again spiritually, that God didn't take you home. You have a mission. And our lives should be such that they worship God actively, not just on Sunday. 
I'll share this, this story by way of testimony. My kids, I was grateful for, that my kids were able to experience this, that even on vacation, God can use you. So it's, I don't know, after midnight, and you know, that's when I'm just getting going, and uh, we ran out of soda. Now, you can't run out of soda on vacation. Something's wrong, you know. You got to have some soda, especially if you just, get, just cooked a bag, I just made a bag of popcorn. Mr. MB would appreciate that, that I was had a fresh bag of popcorn. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, we're getting ready to watch something in the room, and, and, and I got my bag of popcorn, and there's no soda. So I got to go find a soda. So I go downstairs, and this is a nice place. By the way, let me just say this, because I know what it looks like, and I just need to clear this up. How did preacher afford to go on any vacation? Let me just say, I got family members that got timeshares, and they have been generous lately. All right? I'm going to leave it right there. You don't say no when somebody offers you uh, 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 stay at the beach. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not a dummy. And so anyway, so this is a nice place. And I'm like, you know, I couldn't afford to stay in this place. We'd be at the motel, what is it, Motel 6? But they don't leave the light on when I stay there. I mean, you know, it's that bad. Uh, but this is a nice place. So I'm looking, you know, and I, I can't find a vending machine. Well, the little shop's closed. I'm like, really? And so there's this maintenance guy coming through. And I'm like... Dude, do you know where I can find like a soda machine or something? He said, oh, yeah. He said, which tower are you in? I'm uh, tower two. Oh, yes, over in tower four. I'm thinking, oh, okay. Well, how do you... He said, you just want a soda? I said, yeah. He said, come on, man, come on. So he goes in. He unlocks the, gets to go into the lounge, and there's all these workers, you know, the late shift, all sitting in there having their snack. And he brings me in there. And I say, hey, this is pretty cool. So I get to get a soda. And, and I meet the guys, you know, and he's, he's a nice fellow. And so I had a good little conversation. I thanked him. Well, the next day... There he is again. So I introduced him to my family. And it's like, okay, God keeps putting this guy in front of my path here. I need to, I need to think about this. Well, then it's like our third night, we're all having a little pool bash. And, and so we're getting ready to go back to the room. And it's freezing cold when you've got to run from one tower to the other when you've been in water. Especially, y'all know what kind of temperatures we had last week. Now, the pool's heated. We're, we're not that dumb. The pool was heated. But we're heading out, and there's this big fire pit down near the beach. And so it's like, oh, let's go down there and kind of dry off, you know. And so we go down there, and... Uh, there's this guy from, what was it, Wisconsin? He's one of the snowbirds. I, th I thought of you, Grubby. He used to do the same thing he used to do. And so he's retired now. And, um, and anyway, so we had a good little conversation, and, and, and we're talking, and, and then here, who should come up, maintenance man, getting ready to cut the, cut the heat off? Well, he came up in the middle of our conversation. And so uh, the conversation had turned spiritual. Because the gentleman from Wisconsin said, oh, man, I come out here every morning about 5 o'clock. I sit down right here on this chair, and he says, and I watch the sunrise come up right there. And so, bing, 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 God nudges my heart and mind. That's an opening. That's an opening. I said, yeah, you know, we got to talking about the beauty of creation and how you got to be pretty dumb to look at the glory of creation and not know there's a creator. You see how we made the exchange? Simple conversation, guys. And so that began to open up this lengthy conversation about the Creator. And so from there, we began to move towards the gospel. And then a guy stops me dead in my tracks. He goes, well, hold on a second, wait a minute. Let me guess. You're a preacher, ain't you? <laughs> Gigs up. I said, yeah, but don't hold that against me. You know, and so we got to talking and ended up being really good. And so uh, his, I can remember his name. His name was Ricky, like my father-in-law here. But uh, I won't make any father-in-law jokes because it was Christmas time and he was generous to me. But anyway, uh, but, you know, so we, all the time. He's, <laughs> it's always Christmas time when he comes around. <laughs> so, uh, so, me and the grand, so me and the kids didn't go back up and, and uh, we're talking on the way up. And, you know, and, and the conversation is like, you know, that was a pretty cool experience because 
It might not have been for Ricky. It might very well have been for the guy who God's been putting in my path for three nights. Because when Ricky wanted to shut the conversation down, because he initiated the shutdown of the conversation, Mr. Maintenance Man said, Hey, I, I actually am enjoying this conversation. I'm glad I came out here tonight. Guys, you never know how God is going to use the opportunity. My point is this. You have been, you've been placed in a position in the heavenlies in Christ. All authority on heaven and earth has been invested in you because you belong to Him. He has preeminence. He has put underfoot. He will one day come again as King of kings and Lord of lords. But He has left you with the responsibility to be an ambassador of the kingdom to come. And the kingdom's here presently spiritually growing and He wants to use you to help grow it. The question is, do you understand your position in Christ and who you are in your identity? Because that'll change the landscape. I'm not afraid of a Ricky out at the, out at the a beach or, or my father-in-law. No, I'd never be afraid of my father-in-law, Ricky. But anyway, you, you know what I'm saying? You, when you know who you are in Christ, man, the, the, the opportunity, the liberty that's open to you to be able to proclaim the good news, the glad tidings to a lost world. It's invigorating. It's exciting. So I want you to understand your position. Paul is wanting these people to know who they are. They don't need to be afraid of these false teachers. They don't need to, to, to be afraid of the empty and vain philosophies that the world is offering. And so he wants them to understand their position. He also wants them to understand their perspective. Notice what he tells them to do. He says uh, back over to, to Colossians. Um, he says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. He's sitting because it's finished, by the way. It's done. And then he, he goes on and he says this. Therefore, if you died with Christ... Whoop, let me, sorry, wrong, jumped over. Here we go, back over. Uh, verse 2. So we see Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. That's important. Too often time our perspective is earthly. We try to deal with things in our own reasoning, and our own wisdom. When you have the very mind of Christ... You want to know what God's view is on a matter? He's already told us. You, you, you want to know what... Just think of the social issues of the day. Whatever they may be. God has spoken to that in principle, in truth. And so I don't need to guess... I may need to diligently search. I may need to draw near in prayerful consideration as I should. But God's given us His thoughts and how we're to navigate this world. And it starts by setting our mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. And so, uh, He says here, that we should set your mind on things above. Notice, if you would, some, some of the following uh, Scripture references that we'll unpack. Let's go to probably the, the biggest one the, the, when we think of this subject. Romans 12. And let's look at Romans 12, 1. 
And you, you know, Paul has just been giving the gospel in the first 11 chapters here, and he's, now he's going to surmise it. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. There's the mercy of God. You want to know the mercy of God? That Christ came into the world and, and, and took on flesh and, and lived a sinless life and went to the cross and paid for my sin, your sin, his death, his burial, resurrection. That's the mercy of God. That's the grace of God. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, or some of your translation may say, reasonable act of worship. God is saying, look, this is just, this is just a reasonable act of worship. This is what God expects of you to, to present your bodies a, a sacrifice, to live to die to self, to be set apart for His namesake, for His glory, that's not unreasonable when you consider what He did for you. And then He goes on, He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul's saying here, look, you, you can know what the acceptable will of God is. He's given it to you. He's revealed it to you. His word. Active obedience in following after Christ once we've come to Christ. And this is a stark contrast from, again, the Judaizer that Paul was writing to in Colossae. They're saying Jesus plus. Do this plus Jesus. But it's true believers when... And this is why Colossians 3 is so important because he's just addressed the heresy... And now he's saying, okay, for those of you who are true believers, let me tell you the difference between what's happening with these cats and what's happening with you. You have been transformed. You have the Spirit of God indwelling you. Therefore, you have the ability to seek things that are above because that's where you are positionally. Christ is eternal. He's outside of time. Right? You're in Christ positionally. It's already done. Your name's already written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's not going to be erased. So start living out who you are in your identity. You're there in the sense of victory in Christ. And so if I understand who I am as a child of the King, then I should be able to implement the very will of God in my life. That's what Christ is desiring of His followers. It's simple obedience to His revealed will. And when we do that, when we're walking in the Spirit, not the flesh, when we're heavenly minded, not earthly minded, again, you can do the comparisons in Galatians. The the flesh produces its fruit, the Spirit produces its fruit. When I am yielded to the Spirit in my life, when I am walking in truth, and John says it's great when he hears his children are walking in truth, when I'm being obedient to to following after Christ, I'm being the most Christ-like in that I'm yielded to Him when my thoughts are heavenly, when I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that's when I am the most transparent in my life so that others might see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven. Because it's not about me. It's about who I'm yielded to in those moments. Do you understand the the point I'm making? Guys, the more we're surrendered in our walk, the more we're surrendered in our life, the more when we wake up each day and set ourselves apart for the glory of God and allow the Spirit of God to work in us and through us to transform us 
That's when our light shines. And that's what Christ wants from His followers. And so, perspective is not that I look at this from my angle, not that you look at this from your angle, but that we look at this from God's revealed will. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And so, um, we understand this perspective. Look in Philippians. He uses this language a lot over in Philippians. Let's go there, if you would, please. Go eat popcorn. Just make sure you got soda. Anyway, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Philippians 3... And verse 7, notice what it says here. Paul says, but what, what things were gained to me? These I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means... I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, Join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. Do we see a pattern here? Do we see the, the, the authority of Scripture, the Word of God that's revealing God's perspective to us in, in the mind of Christ and how you and I are called to live and how we're to be separated from the world and who we are in our identity and how we navigate and walk throughout this world day by day? 
Notice if you would over in Romans. Go back over to Romans chapter 8. I told you we had a lot of, a lot of Scripture to cover this morning. Over in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh, notice what they do. They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 10. And if Christ is in you, the body's dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Amen? Amen! That's God's perspective. One last one. Back over to Philippians. Notice what he says here in Philippians 4. In Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Apostle Paul says here, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Whew, boy, we could sure use a dose of that today in this world, right? What is your perspective today? I mean, you're getting troubled and low and this gloom and doom and, and, and just, you know, you turn on the news and you see everything that's going on. Are you so wrapped up in this earthly kingdom that we're not doing any heavenly kingdom good? Are you aware of the teachings of the old astronomers concerning our planetary universe? Ptolemy was the first in the field, A.D. 127 to 51, one of the most eminent of the scientific men of the ancient world. He taught that our earth was the center of the universe and that all else revolved around it. How grand to think of ourselves as the hub of the universe. It took something like 1,300 years to dispel the illusion. Copernicus, A.D. 1473 to 1543, demonstrated that the sun was the center with the earth and all else revolving around it. Point to ponder. I wonder how long it takes Christians to realize that the world does not revolve around them, but around Christ. 
it takes a very long time for some Christians to learn this truth. Guys, it's not about us. We're an instrument in the hands of God. And He's called us out for His mission, for His glory. But how awesome we get to participate in that. I mean, that's cool. That's why you are where you are. That's why I'm not where you are. That's why the person in the pew beside you is not where you are. That's why they're not in the field that you're in, in the, in the uh, whatever job you do. That's why uh, that wherever you're at in your neighborhood, that's why I'm not there. That's why your neighbor's, that the person sitting beside you is not there. That's why you're there. God's placed you there. It's there. You're there for His glory. And even when we think these roadblocks come and these side roads we have to hit and detours and so forth in life and troubles and struggles, guys, it all works together for good to those who love God who are called according to His purpose. And so we need to take confidence in knowing that God's plan is at work. And that's what Paul is wanting to encourage these believers there at Colossae to understand. Christ is to be preeminent. I don't know who said this, but it's a great little saying. Let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. I like that. Let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. Guys, renew your mind. This is why getting in the Word of God and letting the Word of God get into you is so vital. Because this is where we're transformed. This is how our mind is renewed. When we meditate on Scripture, when we think of those things that are praiseworthy, when we turn our minds heavenly, when we seek and continue to seek things above, not things on the earth. Now, I know some people will say, well, you know, you can, you can become so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You've all heard that, right? But I think if we're going to be heavenly minded in the way that Paul's talking about, we will be extremely good on earth. That's what he's called us to do. We are to be heavenly minded. And when we are heavenly minded, we will definitely be earthly good. Christ is to be preeminent. And then third... We look at purpose. So we see here Paul is explaining our position. He's talking of the perspective. And uh, he, he also is letting us know uh, our purpose as we uh, unpack this, this passage of Scripture. Notice what he says here. He says, since you died and, seek, and, and, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So let, let's look, look at this here. Back over to Colossians. If you've turned back over to Colossians. He says... That if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Galatians 2.20 sums this up. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. 
Is that how your life is being lived right now? Can you say with Paul, like Paul said, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's how I'm living day to day. This is, what, this is my purpose. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. This is who we are, guys. This is, this is our position. This is our perspective. This is our purpose. This is what Paul is telling us in Colossians. We started with an if-then statement. I love it. Paul ends with a when-then. Notice, again, what he says here. When Christ. <laughs> not, not if. When Christ. When Christ, who is our life? Did you pick up on that? When Christ, who is our life, appears... Oh, let's hold up for a second. Time out, Bo. I used to have a radio television uh, when I was in radio television school. And this, our, our, our teacher, professor, he looked like Santa Claus. Um, but he would always stand up front of the room and he'd do an Elvis pose. And he'd go, oh, whoa, 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 time out, Bo. Time out, Bo. He always did so, so. So right here's one of those little time out, Bo's. When Christ, who is our life, question, whose life are you living? Because what I just read here in the authoritative word of God, when Christ, who is our life, whose life am I living? Whose life are you living? Are you living the life you want? I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and nobody's going to tell me what I'm not going to do. I got a family member I love dear, but they say all the time, nobody's going to control me. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Oof. I want to say you don't realize how under, under someone's control you really are with that kind of statement. Guys, you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. That's what the Scripture says. Whose life are you living Who are you living for? Maybe we could ask it that way. Who are you living for? Are you living for yourself to, to pad up the bank account, to, to get to retirement, to leave something for the grandkids? Those are all great ideas, guys. That's wonderful. But where's Christ in this? Is He, is he having preeminence? When Christ, who is our life, appears... Interesting, this word here, uh, by the way, then you also will appear with him in glory. I think I put this up here. Maybe I didn't. Let me back it up. This word appear, uh, it's used here for Christ's second coming. It's phaneru, which means an open display. Now think about this. It, it, it's when, when Christ comes, there will be an open display of Christ and his people. When, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, I believe this is 
Again, the language used here, this is the idea of that second coming. I don't think, is there no other passages? Okay, that's fine. I've got it here. Second coming. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 through 13. You don't need to turn. I'll just read it. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Revelation 1-7, Behold, He's coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, even they, they who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. Even so, Amen. In Matthew 24-30, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When Christ appears. Not if. When. Will your life appear with Him? Whose life are you living for? Bertrand Russell was born into a Christian home and taught to believe in God. But he rejected his training and became an outspoken atheist. His daughter, Catherine Tate, said of him, quote, somewhere at the bottom of his heart, in the depths of his soul, there was an empty space that once had been filled by God, and he never found anything else to put in it. Empty, vain philosophy. The perspective of the world Everything we find so precious in this world, apart from Christ, will one day be incinerated. It's never, he's never going to destroy the earth again with water, but next time it will be with fire. And all the things we count so dear and precious to us, nothing. Lord, give us the mindset on things above. Matthew 6, 19 and 20 said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. So what fills your life this morning? As you go through the holiday season, what's going to fill your life? Can I encourage you this morning to understand your position in Christ? Know the perspective of God that He desires for us as followers of Christ. And may we all be encouraged to, to know our purpose. He's not made it a mystery. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. I want the whole Christ for my Savior. The whole Bible for my book. The whole church for my fellowship. And the whole world for my mission field. John Wesley. Let me read that again, man. That's good stuff. I want the whole Christ for my Savior. The whole Bible for my book. The whole church for my fellowship. And the whole world for my mission field. With earnestness and eagerness, may we focus on things above. Philippians 3.20 for our citizenship 
is in heaven. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. May He come. Let's pray. Father, we know Your Word is true. You've made promises to us. We realize that Christ will return. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I pray that those of us here at Community Baptist Church, that we will be watchful, prayerful, and ready. And so, Lord, will you give us the grace needed? We can't do anything apart from you. We realize that. But we recognize that you've, you've given us the means. You've given us your only begotten Son. And that whosoever shall believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Lord, let this truth sink in that will be set apart for your namesake, that will not be conformed to the world, but we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Help us daily to put one foot in front of the other, walking in the Spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. For I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives within me. And so may the life that we now live, may we live that by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave His life for us. And maybe there's someone here this morning or listening via the podcast and they need to get a life. May they understand that life can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. May they seek Him by faith today. Repent and believe. That's what you call to the lost man today. May they hear that call. May they heed that call. And may they seek you while you're near. We give you praise for who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.